0: Welcome to the Damn Fine TV Podcast Weekly Watch. I'm your host, Jasmine, entertainment writer and TV enthusiast. This week on the show, I'm back to discuss American Horror Story 1984, Episode 4 True Killers. It's day two at Camp Redwood. <laughs> Just kidding. Time is a construct, and Ryan Murphy is rewriting how it all works. But seriously, we lost a lot of good people in this episode, and I am here to mourn them with you. So thanks so much for joining me. Let's get started. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope you've all had a lovely week. It's just me again this time around flying solo, Um, but I do know that I will have a guest on next week. I feel like if I say that, just knock on wood, everybody, just fingers crossed that technology does not, you know, fuck me over or whatever, but I'm very excited for next week's guest if it all works out. It will. It's going to work out. Let's just put it at that. Okay. But anyways, it's just me. Um, so before we get into American Horror Story, let's talk about This Week in TV. There's no stinkers this week, no um, no standouts amongst the crowd that were just god-awful. I mean, I even thought The Walking Dead had a decent enough premiere uh, coming back for season 10. Is it season 10? 9? Oh my god, it's been on too long. Anyways, it was fine. It wasn't anything to um, write home about, but it certainly was not the mess that we have seen in seasons past. So instead of that, I'm going to talk about a recommendation, I'm going to welcome back a certain show, and then I'm going to talk about something that I'm really looking forward to. So let's start with the recommendation. Okay, Stumptown. It's an ABC show. Starring Kobe Smulders, who you might know from How I Met Your Mother, Jake Johnson from New Girl, Cameron Manheim from like all the things, Michael Ealy from all the things, and you know what, guys? I was very impressed by it. It was—I thought it was going to be pretty bad. Like I thought it was going to be really manufactured, really forced, really kind of um, just trying to fit a certain mold and being really rigid within that. Like I thought it was going to be just, oh, this woman, she's so fucked up because she was in the war, which is a legit thing. But I just thought it was going to be a little bit more cliched than it is. And I mean, it's nowhere near perfect, but there's actually a really nice story being told. You know, it's more procedural than I might typically enjoy, but it's, it's been nicely layered with Some good serialized elements, which I didn't really see from the pilot. Like the pilot was solid enough where I was like, okay, I'm going to check out the second episode. And everywhere that the pilot kind of faltered, the second episode really smoothed over, which is a pretty good sign. Now, I haven't seen this week's episode, so I don't know, maybe it flew completely off the rails and I'm going to look like a jackass. But The first two episodes I thought were pretty good. There's a really nice dynamic between the two leads played by Kobe Smulders and Jake Johnson. I don't really know any of the characters' names yet, but it doesn't really seem to matter. It's like one of those shows where it's not, it's definitely not the best drama on television. It's not the worst thing on television. It's somewhere in between, closer to the better end of the scale. But it is one of those things where like, I think I just know the main character's name, Dex, and that's it. Like, I don't remember anybody else's name, but it doesn't really seem to matter. Anyways, I think it's worth checking out. There's only three episodes so far, so it's not that huge of a time investment. I mean, depending on how many other shows that you're watching. And you know what? Honestly, for the soundtrack alone, I don't want to give away too much. I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but it's kind of a cutesy thing that happens in the show, so I won't say too much more, but the soundtrack... A lot of 80s music, a lot of, I think it's all 80s, maybe some late 70s, even like early, early 90s, but definitely 80s. So the soundtrack is just dope, and it's worth checking out just for that. Or I guess you could make a playlist, but. Then I want to welcome back Mr. Robot. Man, every... Every year I forget how much I enjoy this show because it's one of those things where it kind of disappears for a long time. Like, there's a lot of talk about it while it's on. And then, I mean, isn't that so much of television these days, though? Because there's so much content out there that I feel like when something's really hot and and on the air, like, we're all really engaged with it and talking about it. And then when it goes, it just kind of goes because something inevitably just fills its place, right? But with this show, I don't know. I, I feel like I legitimately forget about it. And then the premiere just reminds me how much I've loved this show over the years and I was so happy to have it back. I mean, honestly, sometimes I get a little lost in all of like the hacking lingo and I find it difficult to well no I shouldn't say that I was going to say I find it difficult to follow but it's not so much that because I do get the overall stuff of what's going on but I just get a little bit lost in like all of the technicalities of everything but you don't feel like I never feel like a dummy I just feel like oh there's a little bit of a layer that I don't exactly get but it doesn't really matter to follow the story to enjoy the characters to feel invested in their outcomes and yeah it just never impacts the overall story in any kind of detrimental way but I mean the directing on this show there were so many sequences in this recent premiere where I just like I had to say out loud like wow that like this is gorgeous I am loving this so many cool shots it's definitely one of those captivating type shows and you know people always say oh I can't imagine anyone else playing this role and it's like yeah, because the reality is is that this person plays the role. So, so it, yeah, it is hard to imagine somebody else playing a role. But you know what? I'm going to say it. I can't imagine anybody else playing this role besides Rami Malek. He is so, I mean, you know, honestly, I could say the same about Christian Slater, B.D. Wong. So many of the people in the show just feel so right for the roles that they were given. And it really kind of, it jumps off the screen and... It really helps sell the sometimes bizarre world that the show presents so yeah so welcome back Mr. Robot I'm really excited to see how they wrap this story up and I'm thinking that like if I have the time I might go back and watch the first three seasons over the next few weeks or months or whatever until the show like hopefully get it done before the season well before the series finale so that everything is kind of fresh in my mind because I know there was some kind of crazy stuff with like possible time travel back in like season two or something like that so yeah welcome back for sure now something that I'm looking forward to coming out tomorrow or today depending on when I release this but it's coming out Friday October 11th El Camino okay okay technically it's a movie I know but it's spawned from a television show, so I still think it counts. I still think it counts as something I'm looking forward to on television. And I mean, it's a movie we're gonna watch at home, right? Like, nobody's gonna go to the theater, are you? Come on, if you already have Netflix, just stay at home. Anyways, I'm super looking forward to that because the only thing that really disappointed me about the Breaking Bad finale was the severe lack of Jesse Pinkman. And to have a feature-length film come out About Jesse Pinkman, I just feel like my needs are finally being met. The television gods listened to me. Uh, Vince Gilligan finally heard my calls and made this film. And I just... I mean hopefully my needs are going to be met, right? Like, it could be a terrible movie, though I don't think it will because of the team behind it. I mean, I already trust them from the work that they've done on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So it's going to be nice to step back into this world, to step back into that character's point of view and just kind of revisit that ambiance. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. All right, that wraps up the opening segment. What have you guys been watching this week? What's good? What's awful? What's worth checking out? Get in touch with me. I am on Twitter at Damn fine TV. I'm over on Instagram at Jasmine underscore Lila underscore. And you can also drop me an email, um, which is, oh my goodness, damnfinepod at gmail.com. All right, let's get into American Horror Story. <laughs> Okay so True Killers which I was kind of like confused about that title before getting into the episode because I I guess I forget that like I had already kind of figured out the Margaret Booth thing and so I was like who else are we gonna find out is this true killer like what's going on and then I guess there are like I'm sure there are some people out there who don't listen to podcasts, don't really read any articles or anything like that. And they might not have known that Margaret was going to be revealed to be the real killer. So I get it now. I also wonder if it's like has something to do with like true crime or I don't know. Maybe there is a link that I'm kind of missing there. Anyways, the episode was written by Jay Beattie, who's also a producer on the show, and had a hand in creating the Scream TV series, which I find super fascinating. Uh, if you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that Tyler and I just watched that series like earlier this month, end of last month, something like that. So that's, that's pretty interesting. A lot of his other work I did not really recognize, but the Scream TV series really popped out at me. And... Yeah, it looks like he was a co-creator for all three seasons. I still haven't seen the third season. I don't know where to find it. It's not on Netflix yet. Anyways, and it was directed by Jennifer Lynch, which I just think is so cool. I'm a huge fan of David Lynch. I love to see that. I don't know. I just love the fact that his daughter is also in the business and that she's working on shows like this. This is actually her fifth episode of American Horror Story. She's also done some work on 911, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, The Walking Dead, and Wayward Pines. Do you guys remember that show? It was so fucking weird, but I really liked it. I mean, it went off the rails after the first season, but I don't know. That first season was weird in all the right ways. Actually, it was a little twin peaksy. Yeah. All right, so as I try and find my groove here in covering uh, single episodes of television, I am trying to decide between doing a scene-by-scene recap, doing a brief overall recap, and so today I'm going to try something that's a little bit in between. I would love your feedback if you have any. Let me know what you've been preferring because when I did the episode solo like the first two I really just did brief recaps of everything that went down with Tyler last week we did very scene by scene stuff this week like I said somewhere in between let me know what you think I want to do what you guys enjoy the most okay so the episode starts off with dun 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 a flashback I just I have to laugh every time there's a flashback I just love it Uh, But we are back at the aerobics studio where Montana is doing like midnight aerobics just for men. And it's pretty much love at first sight when Richard Ramirez walks in. They bond over Billy Idol, Knives, and disembowelment really does it for Montana. She is so blown away by this unique and disgusting gesture in her honor that She has sex with him right there and then. It's weird, it's bloody, it's gross. I don't know how I feel about it. I'll get into it more later. She doesn't even hesitate in asking him to kill someone for her. Turns out it's Brooke. I was really hoping that montana was using richard ramirez to or was using brooke i guess as a virgin sacrifice for her aerobics career but i guess at least i can claim a little bit of bragging rights for knowing that there was some connection with the wedding it turns out that montana's brother was the best man who was shot at brooke's wedding now she wants revenge on brooke doesn't even hesitate to ask richard ramirez to do the dirty work for her and he's like As if you'd have to ask, babe, I already killed someone for you. So he agrees to take care of Brooke for her, but there's trouble in Satan's Paradise when we go back to now, because Montana is pissed that Richard Ramirez has not done her bidding yet. Xavier and Trevor are trying to help Chet in any way that they can. They really don't know much about medicine. Whoa! Whoa, what are you doing? It's definitely for for like peanut allergies and shit. It's, It's like pure adrenaline. He's sure it's gonna work. It's not gonna make him worse. So they smash him up with some adrenaline, and the jury is out on whether it made him better, but it certainly didn't make him worse. So great work, boys. Trevor remembers Blake's car and they and then Xavier and Trevor each leave to go and find um, Margaret and Birdie, and they leave Chet kind of armed and ready. I don't know it was flimsy at best but what's this guy gonna do it was a nice thought Trevor finds Margaret and says fuck twice which I'm pretty sure sealed his fate for later but uh, Margaret is not interested in leaving she's got to be there for the campers as she has been saying throughout the whole season and I just have to say Trevor is good people he is really good. you know what he may think birdie is good people which I agree but I think Trevor is also good people Then we cut to Xavier, who has found Bertie, and she is making sandwiches for these poor campers who are going to have some acute homesickness. At first, she doesn't believe Xavier when he says that Mr. Jingles is coming, but then, of course, we hear the keys. And, you know, Bertie plays it really cool with Mr. Jingles, and I think it's her sandwich skills, because she never forgets a sandwich order, especially one so complicated as peanut butter and jelly. I mean, good for her. But Xavier fucks it all up when he can't hold on to his flashlight for another second. Was he, were his palms so sweaty that it fell out? This was so silly. It was so silly. I loved it. But what happened there? But as I said, that fucks it up for both of them. Bertie and Xavier get really roughed up by jingles. And then they get thrown in an oven and I started losing my shit. That is fucking scary. Wow. Okay, seriously terrifying stuff. And um, then we cut to Brooke, and I guess those weren't horse tranquilizers that Not Rita gave her, or time really does work in mysterious ways at Camp Redwood because Brooke is totally fine to stand up. She's, she doesn't seem groggy in the least and she is in fact strong enough to knock down a cabin door and set herself free which by the way she's not limping afterwards she doesn't seem to be like injured at all she's just good to go maybe it wasn't a horse tranquilizer maybe it was some kind of steroid that just like it knocked her out initially but then she was jacked and ready to go after I don't know man but anyways she breaks free only to be caught in a few booby traps along the way the um that like that I don't even know what you call it, that like stick with all the spikes on it that came out of her as she was running. I audibly gasped. It actually, it was a good jump scare. And then she gets caught in this net. Here comes not Rita. And you know, I love the fact that this show is just giving us answers every single episode. We never really have to seem to wait for anything because we do find out that all of these traps were set up by not Rita, which means that probably that pit full of spikes was also her idea. She is really fucking twisted. She has this whole, like, her hubris is turned up to 11 because she really thinks that this is scientific research It's interesting. I'm going to I have a point about it that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But suffice to say, uh, not Rita has set up all the traps and she has caught Brooke and she's going to wait and see if serving up virgins on a rope platter is good enough for Mr. Jingles or if he will spare her. Birdie somehow breaks free of her oven and manages to break Xavier free as well but then asks for a mercy kill, and it's heartbreaking. Not only that, it's so gross. Like, the slowness of the knife being plunged into her chest was like, oh, oh, vomit-inducing. So gross. And uh, it's really too bad. Good job, Tyler, last week bringing up the birdie is the final girl theory. Unfortunately, your theory got baked in mercy killed this week, bud, and, and I am here for you. I also think it's a tragedy. R.I.P. Birdie, we hardly knew ye, and we are lesser for losing you. Montana finds Brooke in the net, and I feel like she's going a little overboard with, like, her act here, but I think that's only because we know what side she's on. Probably to Brooke it seems normal, but I just thought it was a little overdone. She says she's going to go and find help and come back for her, Uh, but then we get a flashback. Turns out Margaret Booth was just using Mr. Jingles from the very beginning. He was her Benji bear, gross, and um, apparently he swore to protect her. He would do anything to protect her from these mean old counselors, and Margaret is a freaky fucking weirdo who licks other people's blood, so yeah, there's that. Then we're back to the current timeline where Montana just brings Richard Ramirez right to Brooke. But wait, Mr. Jingles is there too. And we get that Freddie versus Jason showdown that I just knew was coming with a bonus secondary battle between not Rita and Montana. It's really intense. I loved it. I feel like it went on for longer than I would have assumed, but it, it was it was really well shot. Like going back and forth between them. It was it was really cool. Montana, Brooke, and Mr. Jingles all get away. Not Rita gets knocked out. Everyone has taken a beating, but Richard Ramirez gets it the worst, and we can all breathe a sigh of relief and have a little celebration, at least for now. Jingles then confronts Margaret, and she's back on her super god bullshit, her her weird, wacky wisdoms, and she reveals the truth to Mr. Jingles, and for a second, you feel a little bad for the guy, because... He was kind of tortured in the mental health facility, which I assume... I don't know. Maybe they're calling it an asylum. Call back. But you do got to feel for the guy for a little bit because he's getting electric shock therapy. They're shooting him up with drugs. And his life was essentially taken away from him by this woman. But then you remember that he has come back and killed people. So, eh. You know, you you start to not feel so bad for any of them, really. Margaret shoots him, like, a bunch of times. And we're pretty sure that's that for Jingles at that point. Then we get a flash of Trevor helping Chet, Brooke running through the woods, and um, they all hear gunshots. Montana shows up, and after telling her that she looks fucking gorgeous. Trevor decides to go back for Margaret because he's such good people. He arrives, he sees, he arrives at her cabin, I should say. He sees Jingles' dead body. He thinks they're in the clear and then Margaret stabs him. The episode ends and the series was canceled. It's crazy. Well, I'm just kidding. I'm just really mad about Trevor's death. Um, I think it's a travesty. I think there better be something going on with ghosts so that we get to see Matthew Morrison in this role again. Otherwise, he was far too underutilized. Um, And I think it is a cancelable offense. Cancelable? Yeah, sure, whatevs. But anyways, Trevor is dead and the world probably heard my heart shatter. It was very loud. Anyways, then we cut to Xavier who runs right into Mr. Jingles who spares him and it's probably because he's learned the truth about his past and realizes he doesn't have to be this brutal killer that everybody told him he was and who he kind of became, but whatever. Or maybe because he's a ghost? Because then Brooke shows up and she's like, what? Where was Mr. Jingles? What you talking about? But I don't know. I don't know. Because his body disappeared, but I guess... You know, like, yeah, his body disappeared from the cabin, the same kind of way that the hiker's body disappeared, but I guess you'd have to be a ghost first for your body to disappear like that and then get killed again, you know, if that makes sense. Everyone that's still alive makes it to the parking lot, and unfortunately Blake's car is on fire. We can probably assume that was Margaret's doing. Then we cut to Richard's body. It is floating in the air, and we get Satan, 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 Satan. And he is resurrected by Satan, ostensibly, or some kind of dark force, and that happens because, I mean, who the hell knows why? Who the hell? (laughs) I see what I did there. Yeah, I really don't know why. Um, I'm not impressed by it, and that's the end of the episode, but it's a good transition to go into what I disliked about this episode, and... Mainly that's the Richard Ramirez stuff. You know, I mentioned a few episodes ago that I hope they know how to walk the line between using this character, who is a real person, in a way that doesn't romanticize or overly humanize or um, make, make him cool in a way. Because the fact is, he had real victims, and I just find it really disrespectful what they're doing with this character. Now, he did make an appearance in the hotel season in the, I forget what the episode is called, but it's the night, it's like the the night where all the serial killers get together to have a dinner and, like, kill somebody. Okay, that episode, the way that those characters are played is vile. They're meant to be evil people. You are meant to not like them. They are meant to be feared, I mean, I think it's still one of the scarier episodes of American Horror Story as a whole. In this season, Ramirez is being depicted at, like, I, I don't know that we're supposed to like him, but they keep giving him these lines of dialogue that are, I mean, borderline funny. It feels weird to laugh at them because of the real world kind of implications and connections, but they keep giving him lines of dialogue that I think are supposed to be humorous. They've cast this man that, I mean, he's, he's no dog shit. Like he, he looks good. He has a nice smile. He's got great hair. And they're kind of portraying him as this like sexy, badass kind of guy, especially when we see Montana hooking up with him, who we don't really know that much about her, I guess. Like I think, I think we had started to get to know her, but it's all, all bets are off now because of this, because of who we know she is now that she would make an alliance with this really horrible person. So I think it's playing with us because we liked Montana at first, right? She's this like upbeat, really funny, like in control of herself woman. You know, she's really strong and powerful and it just, I don't know, it's a weird pairing. It kind of makes you... I mean, I think there's something in there that could make you sort of more attracted, quote unquote, not necessarily sexually, but just more sympathetic to Ramirez's character. But honestly, the whole thing just feels so icky. It just doesn't feel right. And it takes me out of the show whenever they do stuff like this with him. Like lines like, oh, Barbie's interested in blades, like stuff like that. I don't know. It just like, then I think about the real person and his victims, and all of the awful things that he did. And I don't get why you don't just... Like, why not just have a character that's kind of a spoof of Richard Ramirez? Give him a different name. Make some similarities there so that we get what you're going for, but you didn't need to use the name. Like, it just wasn't necessary. And maybe there's going to be some kind of reveal where he's not actually this person. Maybe he's a copycat. Maybe... Maybe it's the movie theory where they're just film or they're filming a TV show or they're filming a movie. I don't know. But his name in all of the, in like the Wikipedia, the IMDB, all that stuff, he's listed as Richard Ramirez. So he is playing this character for all intents and purposes right now. And yeah, it just, I don't know. It just, the whole thing feels really disrespectful. I'm not here for it. I hope there's something that makes it retroactively not as gross but I'm really disappointed that he was resurrected at the end. I would have been happy if he had just died and then that was the end of it. He hasn't really added that much to this season, honestly. I think that the the idea of the twist last week at the end of the episode was more fun than what it's actually turning out to be, if that makes sense. I'm really not here for Montana being a villain either. I, I don't know. Like, I just it's not Billy Lord's fault. Like she's, she's selling it. I'm just not enjoying it. There's just, I don't know. There's just something about the way that Montana was first depicted that now this shift, it's just not sitting right with me. That could change, but for right now, meh. And honestly, the whole thing really tainted the cold open because I think that opening scene until Ramirez is involved it's actually really fun and i like montana's attitude towards the men in the class i like when she's like work that pussy and then like just turns up the billy idol and gives that guy the finger it's hilarious but then the whole ramirez of it all just (laughs) anyways other stuff i didn't like you probably have guessed by now that i'm pretty mad about trevor dying Ugh! not here for it guys not here for it And I want to see more of this ghost stuff. Like that was, it's kind of been dropped for the past two episodes. So I really do hope it comes back. I hope it has some bigger implications than just this hitchhiker person. I think it was adding a really nice layer to the show. I think it was bringing something different to the slasher theme and Yeah, I just, I really hope it comes back. I was hoping that we would get more of it this episode, especially with all the deaths. I thought there was going to be some kind of reveal. Hopefully it's back soon. Okay, but let's change the vibe and get into stuff that I liked. First of all, the pacing. I kind of mentioned it while I was breaking down the episode, but I just love that we're not really waiting for stuff. Like It doesn't really feel like anything's being drawn out, except for maybe the Ramirez stuff, but that's more that it just feels a little aimless. As far as getting answers to things and you know kind of being left on the hook with oh I wonder if this is it I wonder if that's it. I mean it's episode four and we've had the Margaret reveal and that feels really early in a season to just have that out in the open but I kind of love it because it makes me feel like there's more coming and not only that it's like I think a lot of us had figured that part out so there wasn't a reason to stretch it out and I think I do think Ryan Murphy is smart enough to know that after not like after watching nine seasons of this show, or eight seasons, whatever, his viewers are going to start to pick up on the fact that he does lay down clues like this, he does do wild twists, so we're all going to be speculating and theorizing, and so why not just give us little bits as we go so that we don't feel like we're being strung along, you know? I mean, the other thing, too, is that there's it feels like there's so many balls in the air right now with who has a vendetta against who and what killer is what and who did the actual killing back in the day. And and just so many different like I feel I still feel that everybody is going to have a reason at some point to be to want to kill somebody else. Like, once they find out what not Rita did, I feel like there's going to be animosity there. Once they find out about what Margaret's doing, there's going to be animosity there. I think there's more to Brooke than meets the eye. I kind of feel like I'm on Xavier's side now. Xavier and Trevor are, I don't know, I think they're the only innocent people. I could be wrong. But anyways, I I, I just feel like there's so many, so many balls in the air. And so why not just make some of them a little bit easier to manage, you know? If you've been listening to the past episodes, you'll know that I had been hoping for things to get scarier. Last week was a little bit scarier than the first two, but this episode was definitely upping the ante. And it wasn't exactly like, it wasn't like bone chilling scary or anything, but it was like, it didn't, it's not going to keep me up at night, but it was definitely more suspenseful. It There were scenes that I had to watch through my fingers just because of the, the slowness of it, and kind of the gross-out factor. I mean, for me, watching stuff uh, like like torturous kind of stuff, so when they were giving jingles the electric shock kind of therapy, that shit really sits with me in my gut. So that I was watching through my fingers. When Xavier Mercy killed Birdie, I had to watch that kind of from behind a blanket. Like, that stuff just makes me uncomfortable, but I... But, but it's used to good effect. I mean, it's not uncomfortable just for the sake of being uncomfortable. It's it's building the tension. It's building the suspense. It's building up all of those vibes and ambiance. So I love it. And I'm glad that it's kind of going there now. I hope it just keeps building. And the oven. So I'll just get into it right now. That's the scariest moment for me is the oven. Anytime you do buried alive or trapped inside somewhere and anytime like you do a... A slow death, something like buried alive, burned alive, drowning, that kind of thing is always going to get to me a little bit more than just a slash or stab or shooting or whatever, you know, because it's it's being it's the psychological torture that goes along with that. Like the fact that you know that you are being burned to death and you are trapped, it feels so helpless. You're not in control. There's something there's an extra layer to that that's really fucked up. But it's great for horror. It's perfect. So that's definitely the scariest bit. And just watching poor Xavier and his skin start to bubble and burn. He's trying to hide under his jacket. Oh, my goodness. And then when he, I mean, when he manages, well, when Birdie helps him get free and then he sees his face. I mean, I think it was partly played for laughs but it's so sad. It like it actually really got to me. So, I'm happy about that. There's there's more emotion being built up. So, great work. And then even though I had predicted the Margaret Booth being the real Redwood killer, I think the reveal was still a lot of fun. They peppered in some stuff about their rela- um Margaret and Mr. Jingles's relationship before all the killings. They kind of showed us why Margaret was pissed off at the counselors, though I think there's still more for us to learn about the religious stuff, why she wants to wait for the campers to get there. Like, is she going to slaughter some kids? I don't know. But anyways, Leslie Grossman just really sold the whole thing. Her kind of neurotic... uh, Also her hubris, her neurotic hubris, like... She just really sold that moment, and I still think it was a lot of fun. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, his his response of being like, "No, it is me," and then f- kind of having it all click and realize that it was never him, was pretty devastating. So it all really worked together, which is cool because when you when you predict a particular twist in a story, it can it can ruin things if then the reveal. Doesn't really live up to the theorizing itself, the secrecy of it all, right? But when the reveal is just as fun as predicting that reveal, it's kind of a bonus, honestly. I loved the battle between Ramirez and Jingles, and not Rita and Montana. Um, I kind of touched on this before, but I loved, I loved the direction in that scene, the way it was cutting back and forth. It felt really intense and captivating and action-packed. And even um, the few cuts that it would make to Brooke as she was trying to swing closer to the tree to kind of grab on and break herself free. It was all really, really well put together. It created a lot of intensity, a lot of excitement. I couldn't figure out who was going to win or what it was going to mean. And when Jingles and Ramirez were each taking so many slashes I thought, are they both gonna die and then it's just gonna be Margaret or something? Like, what is, I I really couldn't see what was coming next and I liked that. It was a great action scene for sure. And then, not Rita's research and this comparing of humans to lab rats and really being convinced that her work is for the greater good. That what she's doing is legitimate research and it's going to help stop serial killers and she doesn't care who gets killed in the process and she can look at these people like she can look someone like Brooke right in the face and say I'm going to serve you up on this platter and see what happens it's bonkers I don't exactly know where all of these threads where all of this I don't know exactly what statement the show is trying to make but I'm enjoying the journey and I look forward to seeing if they make anything of it we'll see All right, so I already talked about the scariest moment. What about song? Okay, there wasn't very many songs in this episode. I really think it was just Billy Idol at the beginning. And then when we get to the scene with Birdie, it's Stevie Nicks, Baby Leather and Lace. And I kind of love this because it feels like a little bit of an in-joke to use Stevie Nicks in the first place because she's had appearances on so many other seasons. But it's also like her guest appearance. Like, I don't know that she's going to feature in this season of the show. So this is kind of like, oh, yeah, Stevie Nicks was there. So I loved it and the best line of dialogue this week was tricky there wasn't a lot of overtly kind of funny lines a lot of the humor was more physical you know when Xavier says to Chet don't worry man you're gonna be fine Trevor knows what he's doing and Trevor just kind of looks over and is like with his head like and his face no man I don't know what the fuck I'm doing but you can't That's not really dialogue right so there was a lot of stuff like that but Seconds later, when Xavier, when it clicks for him that Blake's car is still going to be there and he says, oh my God, porn. out of context, it makes zero sense, but it's still so funny. It's still so funny to hear somebody say, oh my God, porn. And then as far as theories go, I don't really have any that I haven't already brought up in episodes past. And I've already kind of said, you know, could Mr. Jingles be a ghost now? Could Trevor be a ghost? Could all of these people be ghosts? But I've, I've brought that up before. I gotta I got to assume that Margaret is wanting the campers to come. Oh, my God, what if there are no campers coming? I don't think there's campers coming. That's just coming to me right now. I don't feel like there's any campers coming. It's all a ruse. The whole thing is a ruse. I think Tyler was on to something last week when he mentioned the idea that maybe Xavier was lured there because of his appearance in the, oh my God, porn. And perhaps Trevor because of his Jane Fonda thing and, you know, the thing in his pants. The other ones I think she got lucky with. And even the release of Jingles, maybe she got lucky with. But regardless, I think the whole thing is a ruse. We shall see. I still think there's going to be something that happens midway in the season that kind of shifts it into... Something different or makes it feel like it's a two parter, you know, the same way that Roanoke did. Again, I've brought it up before. I guess the only thing, and it's more of a question really than a theory, but what the hell brought Richard Ramirez back to life? What element is this adding to the season? Could it be the aliens from Asylum? Even as I say that, I don't like it. Here's why I think the aliens can do better. I choose to believe that our alien overlords are not interested in Richard Ramirez types. I I really think they could do better. So, forget it. Even if it is them, I wonder why. Huh. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you have any questions, theories about this episode? Who do you think brought Richard Ramirez back? Is it just Satan? Is it just a Is there is Camp Redwood built on a weird burial ground like ancient spirits are there and there's there's witchcraft and I mean it could literally be anything at this point what do you think's going on with the ghosts do you think there are campers coming I would love to hear your guys thoughts so again get in touch I'm on twitter at damn fine tv on instagram at jasmine underscore lila underscore and you can always drop me an email damn fine tv pod nope damn fine pod at gmail.com And until next week, guys, if you're watching TV, make sure it's damn fine TV.